This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of the Sentinel Fort in Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. I didn't stay up to watch the Nationals game last night, but I was watching the highlights this morning. And as I was watching Juan Soto's eighth inning home run, it looked like, as I was watching the ball, it looked like it got an extra boost over the fence into the into the crowd. And was it a wind blowing into outfield, do you think? I don't know if I, I don't know if it was wind necessarily. It might have been some sort of supernatural force working to help the Nationals qualify for their first NLCS. And I couldn't help but think that maybe we're seeing Barbara Bush's ghost at work once again here in Washington, D.C. What say you, Sam Knight? Ooh. I mean, she's been dead for a while, and... I thought she only stuck with hockey, but maybe she's moved on to baseball. It's possible. I mean, it's hard to tell a spirit what to do. Yeah, they... They, they tend to just sort of go where they want, but... Yeah, I mean, they don't have corporal bodies or anything they can just walk through walls and just, shit. just wandering just, just wandering the earth yeah <laughs> just wandering they can the fly earth. too i think flying walking through walls going from stadium to stadium getting primo uh seats to see the action and lifting home runs out of the field at key times i'm just saying where was she last year when the caps blew it against the hurricanes i would i would have thought she would have at least wanted to see them get to the next or the second I mean, round. I mean, they did win. <laughs> yeah, in 2018. I know, but she can't make them win every year from now on. Why not? I just It's just not how Barbara Bush's ghost works, okay? <laughs> we can get into the metaphysics of this one day on a different show. But uh, Nats, NLCS, I'm guessing the listener rant line will be quiet today. That's right. That's right. We had our L.A. fan uh, talk shit, and uh, he got hit. <laughs> he should call into the rant line and uh, apologize for next week. So yesterday it emerged that Elizabeth Warren was flip-flopping in a good way, or the best possible way, I suppose, in terms of what you can do to flip-flop when you take a bad decision and uh, say, actually... I'm reversing that. Mm. So she came out and said, I will not, quote unquote, unilaterally disarm, meaning she uh, will not be, you know, let anything go in terms of corporate campaign financing. I like how the term unilaterally disarm is the term that everyone, all these corporate Democrats use to criticize this decision. It's like a talking point that they all use. It is. It is. Uh, but then it emerged, she sort of did a double flip-flop, which is that she said she her own personal campaign, she would not uh, uh, unilaterally disarm, but she would help local and state Democratic committees 
and in doing so and and but in helping them fundraise she would not <laughs> unilaterally disarm so basically she's trying to get it uh, both ways here where she's saying that she's saying she will not associate with rich people for her uh she will not give them preferential access for her presidential campaign however (laughs) she will be at events where they will receive preferential access for the democratic party right she's doing this for the party she's doing this for the party and uh what's the point It, it just seems like a cheap ploy to say that i will you know i will fight the rich but She's letting them in the back door. The, the old way of fundraising, relying on high dollar fundraisers where people max out their contributions and even go through loopholes to go beyond that, to go to like state parties and other candidates and stuff. That no longer works anymore. It's no longer as effective anymore. Bernie Sanders in 2016 and this year did not unilaterally disarm in the primaries. He raised more money than any of the candidates around and has more donors than any candidate in history. And that is the way forward for successful campaigns. Of course, to be able to do that, you have to be a candidate like Bernie that actually inspires people. And I think Warren can run a presidential campaign on small dollar donations. I don't think that she'd be unilaterally disarming with this decision. And I think Democrats would do a lot better as a party if they got behind candidates that could have the same sort of fundraising prowess from small dollar donors that Bernie does and that people like AOC are able to do rather than trying to rely on these big pocketed donors. And I wish I wish Warren wouldn't, you know, so quickly bow to the party here on this issue, considering it's it's a dinosaur policy. The other disgusting thing about the uh, unilateral disarmament metaphor is is that that basically it implies if you are not kissing the ass of rich people you're giving up and nothing could be further from the truth the hillary Hillary clinton story of 2016 is a story of politicians still clinging to old ways of campaigning and losing as a result the fact that she was taking High dollar donors f- fundraising made it seem like she's corrupt. People no longer think of this stuff as standard politics as normal. Oh, this is just stuff you have to do when you're running for office. No, they look at it as corruptive influ- influences. And people are looking for ways right. of how is the Democratic Party, how is it different from the Republican Party? I mean, people sort of expect the Republican Party to take these the, the the top dollar from corporate interests because they shamelessly do their bidding, but Democrats try to talk out of both sides of their mouths. And if they really wanted a message that would appeal to the masses, they would say, you know what, we're not doing these uh, corporate fundraisers, and, yeah. and a lot of people would get on board. A lot of people yes. would get on board. It's not unilateral disarmament. It's fighting fucking guerrilla warfare. <laughs> it it is. Yes. I mean, asymmetrical warfare. Guerrilla warfare, obviously, that that's an exaggeration, but it is definitely asymmetrical battle. But you can win that. You can win that by getting the many and not the few. Yeah. I mean, as Jeremy I, yeah, Corbyn puts it, and I, and Democrats are perpetually determined 
to just keep on dishonestly kissing ass of the rich, kissing the ass of the rich by framing it as an issue of unilateral disarmament. No, they want to kiss the ass of the rich. And yeah. Elizabeth Warren, unfortunately, uh, is is continuing to do that here. Yeah, yeah. Not only is it going to help Democrats by embracing these corporate fundraisers, it's not going to help them. It's also just going to actively harm them. It's going to harm the Democratic brand, which is already dog shit. So, um, hey, subscribers, get your garbage can and honor can nominations in. They're up right now over at Patreon. If you're not a subscriber, sign up. Patreon.com slash District Sentinel. Make sure you get Ellen DeGeneres in there for your garbage can uh, nominations. You can get CNN in there for uh, distorting Bernie, <laughs> Bernie's look, making him look like dead. <laughs> um, plenty of plenty of uh, good garbage candidates to choose from this week. All right, it's Thursday, October tenth, twenty nineteen. Here's the news: House Democrats subpoenaed two people linked to the president's personal attorney who were arrested yesterday for allegedly violating federal campaign finance law. Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, two clients of Rudy Giuliani were arrested yesterday. They're accused of establishing a straw donor scheme on behalf of themselves and one Ukrainian government official. The two men were born in Ukraine but live in the U.S. Federal law enforcement accused them of illegally raising $350,000 for two political action committees. According to media reports, the vast majority of this went to a pro-Trump super PAC called America First Action. House Democrats have been seeking their testimony for different reasons, however— the Intelligence, Judiciary, and Oversight Committees today said the two men have been involved in Giuliani's attempts to get Ukrainian officials to investigate Joe Biden and his son Hunter. They cited Washington Post and AP reports on the pair, noting they allegedly played a role in the recall of U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine Marie Yovanovitch. Yovanovitch has been scheduled to give her deposition tomorrow to House investigators, but she may be blocked from doing so by the White House as BuzzFeed News noted today. In unrelated but related news, Bloomberg reported last night that President Trump asked then-Secretary of State Rex Tillerson in 2017 to intervene in a Justice Department case against another Giuliani client. For those who don't know, Rex Tillerson is the good-looking Secretary of State that we have. <laughs> Reza Zarab, an Iranian-Turkish gold trader, was being charged with evading sanctions against Iran. As The Hill noted, Zarab eventually pleaded guilty and testified against Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Hmm. This is this is kind of overwhelming here in terms of like, just when you think there are uh, no new names you have to learn and the latest scandal, we're, yeah. we're just overwhelmed. I just, I don't know. I kind of miss Obama's tan suit or whatever. <laughs> it's kind of interesting that House Democrats <laughs> wanted these guys to testify as part of their impeachment probe and were planning to subpoena them. And then the Department of Justice arrested them, which will probably make them unavailable to the House impeachment investigation. <laughs> now, a story we didn't get to yesterday while we were busy atoning and all. A secret foreign intelligence surveillance court opinion revealed just how often the FBI abuses spy tools aimed at foreigners to instead target Americans. The court found last October that the Bureau was violating the law that authorizes foreign surveillance and was undermining the Constitution's Fourth Amendment protections. 
Huge surprise. This is all related to Section 702 authorities, which give the executive powers to collect vast amounts of digital information on foreign targets like emails, chat lists, and other digital communications. The problem is, throughout collection of this data, huge amounts of data on Americans are also collected, meaning the government has vast databases of private information belonging to Americans that it acquired without a warrant. Privacy-minded senators like Ron Wyden have for years warned about this, describing it as a backdoor search loophole. However, Congress renewed these spying authorities last year without reforms that would have closed the backdoor loophole. These new opinions from the FISA court show that that was a mistake since backdoor warrantless searches of Americans' data are apparently rampant. In one case, an FBI contractor ran a search on himself, relatives, and other FBI personnel. In another case, the FBI ran a search of 70,000 phone numbers and emails as part of a security review of its own personnel. Perhaps looking for whistleblowers there? It's long been a mystery just how often the FBI conducts these backdoor searches. Efforts to get the Bureau to reveal annual figures last year fell apart as officials claimed it would be, quote, too difficult. Well, now we do have a number. According to one figure contained in the FISA court opinions, the FBI conducted 3.1 million searches on one single database. Senator Ron Wyden responded to the secret court opinion saying it, quote, reveals serious failings in the FBI's backdoor searches, underscoring the need for the government to seek a warrant before searching through mountains of private data on Americans, end quote. Of course, requiring the government to obtain a warrant for these searches likely won't happen until the current iteration of Section 702, which again was reauthorized last year, expires. But that won't be until December 2023. Facebook's cryptocurrency plans are receiving increasing scrutiny in Washington these days. Recent drama centers around a trade association Facebook is setting up to try to get the so-called Libra off the ground. On Friday, the group was abandoned by a major player in the electronic payments industry. PayPal decided to drop out. The move prompted Democratic senators to reach out to other firms in the association, advising them against moving forward with Facebook. Ohio's Sherrod Brown and Hawaii's Brian Schatz wrote Visa, MasterCard, and Stripe earlier this week. They said Facebook is basically attempting to use the other companies as a shield for a scheme whose legality they can't explain. The senator said, quote, Even though Facebook is the driving force behind Libra and offers the largest user base for the new cryptocurrency, the company has not provided a clear plan for how it will prevent Libra from facilitating criminal and terrorist financing, destabilizing the global financial system, interfering with monetary policy, or exposing consumers to risks currently limited to accredited investors. End of quote. Brown and Schatz also said Facebook is deflecting questions about systemic risk and Libra compliance by pointing to non-existing future answers from the so-called Libra Association, the group that PayPal quit on Friday. The lawmakers warned that this pattern of facts makes it strongly seem like Facebook is trying to enter the financial services industry without subjecting itself to regulations. The firm is, quote, shifting the risks and the need to design new compliance regimes onto regulated members of the Libra Association like your companies. If you take this on, Brown and Schott said, you can expect a high level of scrutiny from regulators, not only on Libra-related payment activities, but on all payment activities. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg will have the opportunity to try to publicly defend his scheme in the next few weeks. 
Yesterday, the House Financial Services Committee announced Zuckerberg will be appearing before them in testimony scheduled for October 23rd. But even if U.S. regulators do clamp down on the Zuck, he could still try to make Facebook currency happen anyway. Leaked audio released on October 1st by The Verge reveals that the Facebook CEO has, quote, a test going in India. We're working in Mexico and a bunch of other countries to have this rolled out broadly, he added. Sure, it'll go great. A reminder that there are now uh, more Facebook users in the world than Catholics. Finally, scientists have shown us glimpses, not finally, that that's good, that there are more <laughs> Facebook users than Catholics. Although, <laughs> no, finally, as in the last news story of today, scientists have shown us glimpses of what our climate changed hell world looks like in the future. Things like cloudless skies and oceans teeming with jellyfish. Well, now we can imagine birdless skies as well. The National Audubon Society is out with a new report warning that more than 50% of bird species in the U.S. are threatened with extinction due to global temperature rises. It's about 400 different species. That's with just a 2 degrees Celsius increase in temperatures, which we're most definitely headed for, a 3% increase, which we're likely headed for, and you have as many as 64% of domestic birds at risk of going extinct. Increasing temperatures, rising sea levels, wildfires all conspire to wreak havoc on birds' environments, fueling extinction concerns. There was a silver lining in the report, though, noting that upwards of 91% of the birds under threat could be saved if climate change mitigation strategies are immediately adopted. This report from the National Audubon Society comes on the heels of research published by science journal Nature, which found bird populations already in massive decline. In fact, it's declined by 29% in the U.S. and Canada, meaning there are nearly 3 billion fewer birds today than just five decades ago. It's a lot of fucking birds. But don't worry, when one door closes, another one opens. Our cloudless, birdless sky future may also include snake fish that can live outside the water. Wildlife officials in Georgia are warning about an invasive species that was found for the first time in the state. It's a snakehead fish. It's got a three-foot-long body. It looks like a snake with the head of a fish. It can live in low oxygenated environments. It can live outside of water on land. Officials are warning people to kill it immediately <laughs> if they come in contact with it. Noted. There was a uh, snakehead fish scare in the D.C. area a few years ago. I remember that. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's grim. It's a grim it's a grim species to have around when authorities are like, if you see this thing, fucking kill it. Yeah. Our future with no clouds in the sky, no birds in the sky, oceans with only jellyfish and lakes with only snakefish that are also just all over the land as well. It's going to rule. It's going to win. It's going to be great. All right. an, an amendment. I think there are also more uh, Facebook users than Muslims do. There's a shit ton of Facebook. <laughs> Just wanted to get that out there. <laughs> okay, we will end the newscast right there. We do have a poem to read for a new subscriber on Patreon. Again, that's patreon.com slash district sentinel. Five bucks a month. You get access to all the bonus content and you get your own haiku written for you and read on the air. This one is for Tracy. If you see snakefish, kill it immediately before it kills you thank you tracy thank you tracy and thank you to all the new subscribers 
patreon.com slash district sentinel if you are a subscriber you will hear from us tomorrow for the garbage can show if you are not a subscriber we'll be back next week we're in dc so you don't have to be